0: Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We uh, started last week in this Corinth series, and, you know, we gave most of, most of what we did last week was uh, in the book of Acts to start off the, the series of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we were in Acts chapter 18. And you remember why, right? Why were we in Acts to get the background, yes, the cultural context. This is, that's the story of Paul interacting with Corinth. So we were laying the groundwork for it. And you'll remember who these people were. This was the boom town where all the money was. They were very self-confident, independent. All of that had all sorts of things going on. And the, the moral fiber of the society had completely dropped out. There was nothing left. And what's more, is they took great pride in it. And because of that, we, Paul said that he came to them with fear and trembling, you remember? And the reason that we said he came with fear and trembling is because he's thinking this gospel is about dependence, it's about the grace of God, and we need to lean on him and rely on him and depend on him. But they're completely independent and self-reliant people. So uh, it was a very difficult environment. But we saw how God began to start an amazing work by calling a people out unto himself and doing the miraculous in the middle of Corinth. Absolutely spectacular story. Of, of god's grace and god's work in in uh, a place of darkness bringing about light so The question though a couple of years later as paul is kind of off doing his thing Is that this call that's been given them to be holy to be set apart to be light in the middle of the darkness? The question is can the church of corinth actually do it? I mean do they have what it takes to follow god? Do they have what it takes to be a people who are set apart? That's really where Paul's going to address them right now at the beginning. And so we're going to dive into the first part of the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter to to the church in Corinth. And we're just going to be looking today at five verses of Scripture. Okay, so we're going to be starting in chapter 1, verse 4, and I will have you stand with me in honor of God's Word. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him... You have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Amen? You can have a seat, and may God add rich blessings to the reading of His Word. So I want you to think with me for a second about parenting. Okay? I'm going to give you a few different scenarios here responsibilities of parents. And I want you to think about which one of these is the most important role of a parent. Okay? First of all, providing shelter, healthy food, education for our kids so they can do well. Providing the basic needs in order for the kid to do well. Or B. Secondly, the idea of creating an environment of structure and discipline. So that a child can grow, their mind can develop appropriately, and that they learn discipline and character, and their lifestyle is such that they can interface in the world appropriately. C, number three, comfort and security for a child, protection and comfort for a child, so they know that it's okay and there's a place of safety where they can develop. D, four, being present as a parent, so that the child knows that they have someone there. Which of these is most important? Well, all of the above, right? I mean, that's, that's not a fair question. There's no good answer to that. There's actually something that lies underneath of all of it, isn't there? That a parent is called to do with their child. And what is that? To love their child. And love manifests in all sorts of different ways. And in different situations, there's different things that need to happen. And the more that we love a child, the more that we seek to have all sorts of things happen for them. And sometimes it's maddening because it seems like trying to go after this one takes away from, I got to get the money to provide this stuff and that takes away from the time over here. And I want to create the discipline, but I want them to feel safe. And there's, you know, you try to balance all of that. But the important thing is that underneath of it, that there's actually the love. And when the love is there, God can help us balance and figure out the rest of it. Not perfectly, because we're all complete and total, utter failures. And yet, God helps us as we learn to love, and, and it, it manifests in all these different ways. Well, similarly, the grace of God cannot be pinned down to just one specific thing. The grace of God He's all over the place. And the way that God manifests his grace for us is not just in this way, or not just in this way, but he manifests his grace for us in all sorts of ways. And Paul is calling on the church of Corinth in this passage very, very clearly to lean into the grace of God and to be thankful for God's grace among them. So, this is not a rhetorical question. What is the grace of God? What is it? Anyone? Mercy, a reward we don't deserve. Mercy, a reward we don't deserve. Any other thoughts? God's love for us. Yeah, it is, it is often defined as unmerited favor. Okay, so we don't deserve God's favor or His goodwill or His blessing or His relief All of these things, we don't deserve them. Anytime that God looks favorably on us and has good desires for us, but we don't deserve it, then that means that we are receiving grace in the moment. So, I'm going to go down through another list of things right now, and you can ask me which of this is God's, or you can answer in your own mind, which of these things is God's grace? And maybe which one is mostly God's grace? First of all, God created us, and he gives us air to breathe. Is that grace? grace. Did we deserve to be created? Well, that's just kind of funny, isn't it? We weren't here, so how could we have deserved it? So the fact that he created us means that it was grace right from the beginning, that we were born out of grace, that the only reason we live is because he was gracious and decided to make us. That was his choice for his own purposes he decided that he would make us and that's good for us it works well for us that we were created but we didn't deserve that so that was his grace we breathe and we exist and we live today do we deserve to breathe do we deserve the air that's around us did we do anything to earn it no not at all and so it's his grace okay so that's one form of god's grace secondly after god created us have we done what we should have done have we treated god appropriately (laughs) This should be the loudest thing all day, is that out of our entire morning, the loudest thing that we ever hear in this church is when I ask that question, we should all scream at the top of our lungs, "No! <laughs> we haven't. We've failed. you know And in that moment, when we've failed, what does God do? He, he forgives. And is that an easy task to forgive? And, and what does it take to actually forgive? He doesn't just forgive us, He finds a way to compensate. For our shortcoming, doesn't he? He not only forgives us, he washes us. He cleanses us. He restores us. This is where Bob was saying mercy is a form of grace. This is, a, this is part of the grace is that he has mercy on us when we've done wrong. And he goes even beyond just having mercy and relenting from his anger. He restores us and he redeems us. Is that grace? That yes. is grace. As a matter of fact, that's probably the form of grace that we most speak of. We speak of that form of grace all the time. How about this? God calls us to things as a church and as people. Do we have the ability to accomplish it? This is a very complicated answer, isn't it? And one of the obvious answers is no. <laughs> you know? And, and, so, and yet, why would He call us to do it unless He wants us to accomplish it? Because, why? He's going to give us grace, isn't He? And the grace is to allow us to be able to do what it is that He's called us to do. Right? And so it's grace that He made us. It's grace that He saves us and redeems us. It's grace that He allows us to walk in what it is that He has for us. All of it is grace. Perhaps grace, in its most acute form, uh, may be what Paul says in another letter to the church of Colossae. When he says this, The mystery of the gospel is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ah, I just get goosebumps just hearing myself say that right now. Like, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the beauty of his grace, isn't it? That Christ is in us, and for that there is the hope of glory. What is glory? Glory is God's revealing of himself. It's all those attributes, all those things that happen around God that reveal his beauty to those of us who are watching. That's his glory. And Westminster Catechism, when it reads, when, when, when the scripture is read and they try to summarize the scripture, Westminster Catechism says, in, in the first bit of the catechism, it says, the chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is our job. This is what the scriptures reveal from cover to cover, that our job is to glorify the Father, to reveal his character, to show him off, When he created us, he created us in his image so that we could reveal him. We were an autobiographical artwork of God. That's what we were made to be. And the way that we can get there, the way that we can glorify God is how? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only way that we can reveal the glory of God is by the presence of God in our lives, which is his grace. Isn't that awesome? It's just amazing stuff when we think about it. But here's the problem, and this is where it all gets messy, and this is the context of of this phrase, these few verses to the church in Corinth. It's that we get messed up. This is where we get really messed up, is when we forget to see it all as the grace of God. When this breath that I'm taking in right now of air, when I fail to realize that it's the grace of God that's allowing me to breathe, when I fail to realize that the reason I can have eternal life, when I fail to realize that the reason I can have relationship with God is because of His grace, when I fail to realize that the only way that I can accomplish anything for Him is by His grace, once I start losing perspective of His grace, things go horribly wrong. I really begin to lose perspective on reality. And things begin to change. Okay, And this is where the church in Corinth was. This was one of their problems. And this, of course, is again why Paul was intimidated about going to see the church in Corinth, wasn't it? Because it was all about this grace. And remember what the gospel says? The core of the gospel is this. How are we saved? By what? Saved by grace through faith. And this whole thing, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. That's in another one of Paul's letters written to Ephesus. We are saved only by God's grace, but he has called us to participate in this moment. And in salvation, we only have one thing that we can actually participate in in the whole process. It's not of our works. It's all by his grace. But there's only one thing that he calls us to participate in. And what is that? If it's his grace, what do we have to do with his grace? Have To have faith in it, Right? Believe. We trust God. We trust in this grace. And this is the participation. And so this is exactly what it is that intimidated Paul about bringing the message to Corinth. Because it required dependence and it required faith. And that's what he was saying. I don't know if this is going to work because these guys are self-reliant. It's all about God's grace being provided for us. And I have to tell them that they have to depend on God. And this, in its essence, is our only participation in the gospel is our trust in him our reliance on him right and so now what had happened was is the beauty of what happened and we talked about last week is that these guys actually had trusted him right i mean we saw crispus the synagogue ruler Sothenes, the other synagogue ruler uh, uh, uh titius crispus the the uh the greek uh financial guy they they all trusted christ and gave their lives to him it was a spectacular thing here's the problem Just because they did that once and trusted God's grace didn't mean that they necessarily continued to live in God's grace. Okay? So they trusted it once to enter into a relationship with God, but it doesn't mean that they lived in His grace. As a matter of fact, what ended up happening was because of God's grace in them, all sorts of wonderful stuff started to happen in their life. It changed who they were. But as soon as that wonderful stuff started to happen, guess what they did? They stuck their chest out and got proud about the wonderful things that were happening in them and they started to fight about whose wonderful thing was better than the other wonderful thing. Because they had the grace of God doing this stuff in their life and now all of a sudden they're taking credit for it. It's almost as if they created the air they breathe. Come on. you know. And so what Paul's trying to do in this moment, in this opening uh, passage here, is he's trying to remind them Of where it all comes from and how it all goes down, you know, how this all works. And so, how does he start? With thanksgiving. The best way to do it is not initially to rebuke them, but to thank them. If God gives someone a beautiful home or a beautiful family or beautiful talents and gifts, and they start to idolize those things and get proud of those things, what's the best thing to do? To curse the fact that they have this wonderful house or to curse the fact that they have a wonderful family or to tell them how bad they are for appreciating that? No, that's ridiculous. What we would do is turn around and say, isn't it awesome that God gave you that gift Isn't it awesome that God put this thing in your life? Isn't it amazing that he's blessed you with this family and it takes the credit off of them and it puts it back where it's due, right in the place where it's supposed to be? We never scorn the grace of God and say it's a bad thing. We just give credit to where credit is due. And the more we begin to get thank and praise God, the more we get put back into reality, into an appropriate perspective where we understand that it only fits inside of christ and so paul starts off by just thanking god thanking god thanking god and what does he thank him for this is where it starts in verse four i always thank god for you because of his grace given you in christ jesus i love this he starts by thanking god for them now so in in paul's mind at this moment is this paul saying man i'm just so thankful for the people of corinth for corinthians they're awesome corinthian people are great are you kidding me Paul's like, Corinthian people are horrible. You know, they're horrible. So why is he thanking God for Corinthian people? Well, he says, I always thank God for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. So basically, this is what he's saying. I am so blessed, guys, that God chose to show favor to you in Jesus I am so blessed that God decided to call you out and he just decided to like you. He decided to love you. He decided to shower blessings on you and do something special in your life. And so anyone who was there sticking their chest out in the moment, acting like they were all something special, all of a sudden he's like, isn't it awesome that God had grace on you? You sorry sinner? You know, like underneath of it, that's kind of what's going on. But he's like, he's honestly thankful when he looks at this dark culture of Corinth that in the middle of it, God is calling them out. Obviously, this isn't them. This is God, you know, and he's thanking them. He's thanking God for the fact that he had favor on them. And in what way? Well, he goes on in verse five and he says this, for in him, you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. And so what he's saying is, is when God decided to show favor on you in Christ Jesus, this thing has had massive effect on your life. It's taken root. It's enriched you in every way. Hear that? For in Him you have been enriched in every way. And this is the beauty. You see what's happening here As Paul's saying, God decided to show favor on you. For no reason, uh, no merit of your own, God decided to bless you. And when he did, it's now affecting your life in these positive ways. Okay? And particularly, he names two of them. What are the two things he names there? In their knowledge and their speaking. They're speaking in their knowledge. Which is pretty cool for Greeks, isn't it? I mean, Socrates, Aristotle, those guys, I mean, they were the idea guys. Remember we said Athens was like Boston, you know, it's like the education center and all of that. And the, here you have these guys who are in Corinth, is, you know, the Greeks, and, and he's saying, God has just enriched you. When he showed favor on you, it changed the way you thought and it changed the way you communicate. God's grace in you has allowed you, even in the enlightened culture of Greece, to be the ones who know more than everyone else because you understand reality now. You start to understand the spiritual world. You know God. And you can understand all sorts of things. What's more is you can even articulate that and you can communicate that. Then he goes on to say, because of that, verse 6, he says, "Because because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. You see that? So he's saying, because these things are happening in your life, it is obvious that God is in you, that Christ is in you. Remember, here's the message. You're going to have to depend on Christ. And then he says, the message was just confirmed in you because when Christ came and showed favor on you, it changed you in this way and this way and this way. Therefore, our message that Christ in you, you need to depend on Christ. That's being confirmed because as you're trusting Christ, look what's happening. Your life is changing. Okay? So he puts the stamp on it and says, Look, guys, I'm thankful for you because God chose you. When he chose you, it changed your life in these ways. And what that tells me is, is that Christ is in you. Jesus Christ is in you. Wow. So then he moves on to verse 7. And he says, therefore, this is what's incredible. He says, if Christ is in you, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Just think about that for a second. Think about Paul talking to the church in Corinth, who's just a total mess, you know? And he's looking at them and saying, I'm so blessed that God showed favor on you because I see it happening in these ways, which means Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, that means that you lack no spiritual gift. Wow. Wow. They lack nothing. It's already inside of them. They don't lack it. It's already there. What it, what, it's already there. They're fighting over who has something special. And he's saying, everything you need, every spiritual gift is already in you. Well, that's kind of a dangerous thing to tell people of Corinth who are arrogant, isn't it? Because, and who are self-reliant. Because now, if it's already in me... Well, hey, I'm good then, right? I mean, it's already in me. I don't need God. It's already in me. Well, the next phrase says this. It says, you lack no spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, this word as is really a special word. Paul just puts it. It's beautiful. You remember in the Lord's Prayer. I want you to say the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Stop. What's the next word? As. As we forgive our debtors. And remember the word, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what's happening is is there's these, these words, as, and what do they do? It's saying this is happening as this is happening. If this is happening, this is happening. This is happening in the way that this is happening. So you are forgiving me. Has it ever been a problem to you, seemed problematic to say, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors? That's a scary phrase, you know? And it's all about that one little word, as, isn't it? If you could just get rid of that word, you know? Like, forgive us our debts and then we'll forgive our debtors. It'd be so much better, Jesus, if you had written it like that, you know? That's, or, uh, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And then it says, as in heaven. That one's more comforting because we're like, yes, it's working well in heaven, so let it be done that way here. In the other one, it's, it's tough because forgive us our debts as we're forgiving our debtors. That's contingent on us. And in the same way in this verse, it says, you lack no spiritual gift as you eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ being revealed. Okay, and so what he's saying is, as you are waiting on Christ, you lack nothing. As you are waiting on Christ, you lack nothing. This isn't, I can have, now that I trusted Christ that one time, I have everything, so I can come over here, and I'm, I'm self-contained. I got it from here, God. We're good. You gave me everything I needed, now I can go get it. No, it's as I wait on Christ, I don't lack anything. As soon as I stop waiting on Christ, I lack something, don't I? I'm lacking something, yeah. And here's the other part that's kind of the, the reality check for them. And it's this, it's that word that says, you lack no spiritual gift. You, that word you right there, you lack no spiritual gift. I don't know if you, the, can you put the title slide up there for a second? You see after the you, that parentheses, what is that? Why do I have that there? For this verse right here, you lack no spiritual gift. Who lacks no spiritual gift? Yeah, I mean, we're Americans, so when we read this, we assume that God wrote this to me. Okay? That this wasn't written from Paul. This wasn't a work of God, writing from Paul to a church in Corinth 2,000 years ago to a group of people. I think that God penned this just personally for me, and that's it, because I'm an American and I think everything's about me and I'm completely independent and and individually focused. God loves me enough that he would do that, but we got to get past ourselves for a minute and realize that this is a whole lot bigger than just us, okay? And that what he's saying here is Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he's saying you. Corinthian church lack no spiritual gift. As you guys wait on Christ, among you, you lack no spiritual gift. Do I lack personally spiritual gifts? Come on. I'm your pastor. All of you should resoundingly say, this should be the second loudest thing. Yes! You know, like, yes, I lack spiritual gifts. Each one of us, do we lack spiritual gifts? Of course we do. There's places where we fail each other all the time. A lot of that's because of our sin. Some of it is because of our DNA. We weren't given everything. God spread his gifts. Ephesians tells us in chapter four that God spread his gifts among the church. Why? So that we would need each other, you know? And so that we couldn't do it on our own. Remember, Christ in us is the hope of glory. We reveal the character of God when we are together. Adam was made by himself at first, and it was not good, right? It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. But once Adam and Eve were both together, he said it was very good. Adam wasn't completely and totally in the image of God by himself. It was man and woman in the image of God. Why? Because you can't reveal the character of God You can't reveal the fullness of God without a relationship. Because he's the Godhead. He's the triune Godhead. And he is love. And how are you going to reveal love when there's only one of you? You know? You can't reveal love when there's only one of you. And so we need each other in order to do our job, which is to glorify God. Right? We need each other in order to do that. And so what he's saying in this moment is as you're depending on God, as you're leaning into God, and as you together are leaning into God, then you together lack no spiritual gift. Now, where's the arrogance in that? Where is there room for pride? I only have this as I'm depending on Christ, and I only have it with all of you. It kind of takes the rug out from under your pride, doesn't it? I can't stand on my own two feet. I've got to stand on all yours too. And we can't stand on all of our feet. We have to stand on His shoulders and on His grace. You know? And yet we lack nothing when we do that, which is the incredible encouragement, which is why he's thanking God for it. You know, so he's thanking God that he shou- God showed favor on him. He's thanking God that, that that's revealing itself. And because of that, that Christ is in them. And if Christ is in them, then they obviously lack nothing because they have Christ in them, which means that they have every spiritual gift. And then it says this in verse eight. He says, and he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this one's a little interesting, okay? He's telling the church of Corinth that they will be kept strong until the end and they will be blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. Do they look blameless right now? They don't look blameless, do they? Do they look strong? They only look strong in the human sense of the word, not in the divine sense of the word. Okay, so they don't look strong for the kingdom. They kind of still look strong as far as like the ego side of strong, right? And yet he says, he will keep you strong to the end and you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This gets back to our original question. Can the church of Corinth actually do what God has called them to do? Can they do it? That's the question, okay? Now what he says in verse 9 is this. He says God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our lord is faithful. So what is their call? What's their call there? What are they called to? Fellowship with Christ, relationship with Christ, identification with Christ. This is their call. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is our job. Is to reveal God and to be present in relationship. With God. How can a bunch of sorry sinners like Corinthians enter into relationship with God? Because God is holy. You remember back here in verse 2 that we talked about last week, it said, We are sanctified in Christ and we are called to be holy together. So we are called to be set apart. And the way we're called to be set apart, now he's explaining in verse 9, is to be in fellowship with Jesus. The way that we are set apart from the world is by being in Christ. But how can we have a relationship with Christ if we're sorry sinners? Forgiveness, grace, right? It's the only way. Is the only way is the cleansing work of Jesus on the cross. Okay, so if they received initially that jesus died on the cross for their sins and that gives them forgiveness so therefore they can have relationship with christ what he's saying is that grace got them to this point now listen that grace will be with them to the end what does that mean two things first of all this reality that they are forgiven is not a once and done reality it's not like that 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 was true back then but it's not true today does the enemy stop accusing us once we get saved uh, does he stop shaming us once we get saved? Because now, you know, the, we've received the grace of God, so we don't have to worry anymore about guilt and shame, right? Because we put that on the cross. We never have to worry about it again as a Christian, right? Every day, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And how does he do it? By deception. And one of his primary tools is to tell us the lie that we are not okay, that we are not forgiven that we should be better than we are, that we should work harder at getting better and being better people and all of that. When in reality, that's deception. I can't better myself. I can't better myself at all. The grace that brought me into relationship with Christ is still the grace I need today. When I went from being a totally depraved sinner who learned to lean into the grace of God, the next day did I stop being a depraved sinner? Heck no, I didn't. And yet I was a forgiven one. And I already was a forgiven one, but I just came to terms with the fact that I was. So I entered a new reality. And I have to learn to lean into that every day. And he'll keep me strong in that faith. That's faith in his grace. But there's a whole nother form of grace. Remember how we said that there are different aspects of God's grace? Here's the other aspect. It's not only that he forgives us and cleanses us of our sin that. All that does is get us to enter into the relationship with God. There's a whole nother thing. He calls us to live in such a spectacular fashion as a church. What do we do with that? We are called to walk out in fellowship. We are called to lean into Him. We are called to reveal the glory of God. And it is by grace that we have been brought into the relationship. And it is also only by grace that we will find what it is that he put within us. This spiritual set of gifts that he put among us, we will find that God has something so special in store. And we have seen nothing yet of what it is that God can do in us. If we will learn to lean into the grace and say, whatever it is you've called me to do, it looks impossible. It looks absolutely impossible what it is that God has called Parker Ford Church to. It looks absolutely impossible what it is that He has called our families to. It looks absolutely impossible if we're an honest in our reading of the Scriptures. If we are honest when we read this and we realize what it is that He's calling us to, it is absolutely and totally impossible. But what he's saying is, God will keep you strong to the end as you lean into His grace. God has an ability to bring out depths of us that we didn't realize was possible. There's a film called Facing the Giants. Any of you ever seen it? Anybody ever seen this film? Some of you have a couple of hands here and there. Facing the Giants is about a Christian school where there's a football team. Okay, and this football team is way under budget. They don't have much money and they don't have a whole lot of talent as far as they can tell. And, they're, you know, they, the team's really frustrated because they play these spectacular schools and they're always worried and concerned because, they, you know, their coach loves them and their coach really wants to see the best in them. And he loves the Lord and he believes that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. And that includes playing football. If you're going to play, play with all your strength, do your best, reveal the character of God in the way you play. And so he tells these guys, you can't be intimidated. You got to dig deep and do the best that God has given you to do. He has graced you with these bodies and with these talents, use them to the best of your ability and leave it all on the field and then praise God for it and let it be what it is. But he finds that these guys are discouraged because the task that's in front of them, place Playing against these schools that are way better than them is just incredibly intimidating. And so they stop leaning into the grace of God and they stop doing the best that they can. And this clip, which I'm about to show you right now to to, uh, begin to close out our time here, is a clip of the coach trying to take one of the best players and encourage him to dig a little deeper. Okay, let's roll it. You can turn down the lights as well, please.
1: Oh, man, not even funny, dude. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday Night Down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> what, you only go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. you going to give me your best. I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you to give up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. How do we, Brock? You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the twenty yet? Forget the twenty. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more to you than that. I ain't done. Just rest a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep, keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me you very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit until you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on. Keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. You're very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know. I'm heavy. I'm a strength! And you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going, you're doing good, you keep going! You not quit on me, you keep going! It hurt. I know it hurts, you keep going! You keep going! It's all hard from here! 30 more steps! You keep going, Brock! Come on! Keep going! Burn! And let it burn! It's all hard! You keep going, Brock! Come on! Come on! Keep going! You promised me your best! Your are back! not stop! Keep going! Too hard! It's not too hard! You keep going! Come on, Brock! Give me more! Give me more! Keep going! Twenty more steps! Twenty more! Keep going, Brock! Give me your back! No, quit! No! Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't quit! Brock Kelly, you don't quit! Keep going! Keep going! Go, no, Brock Kelly! You don't quit on me! Now! You keep going! You keep going! Go, rock, Ten more steps! Ten more! Ten more! Ten more! Keep going! Don't quit! Give me your... You You can You can't! Five more! Five more! Come on, Brock! Come on! Don't quit! Don't quit! Come on, Rock, Two more! One more! Oh. <laughs> I've got to be 50 I don't Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. <laughs> Brock, you are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Oh, tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach? Can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? I wear 160.
0: great film you should check it out if you haven't seen it um it's based on a true story and uh in this scene obviously we're seeing someone be pressed to a limit that was well beyond what they thought was possible and if we can't relate to that in our lives it's <laughs> we kind of wonder what journey we're on because you need to be able to relate to that moment there you know um, God has placed among us these gifts the real question in uh, coming out of, of that clip is just this could Brock do that? Was this about Brock's effort? It really wasn't, was it? I mean, frankly, there's no way he could do it. First of all, he didn't even have the body unless God gave him the body to do it, right? I mean, that's just the most basic level of it. But then he had to be blindfolded, because if it depended on him in his own sight, he would have failed miserably. He actually had to have the blinders put on. We don't, we don't live by sight, we live by faith, right? And, and, the, and on top of that, there's no way he would have got it unless he had a coach right up in his ear, you know, screaming, let's go, you know. All of those things were part of the grace in his life. To have a coach that would, that would say that. That would have a, a body that could actually sustain it that was given to him by God. The, someone, the, the blinders were put on and he was brought into a different reality, you know, to dig deeper. Here's the thing is that we have been given grace that put us into a relationship with God. And we all fall short and we fail. And it's wonderful that God has mercy and that he loves us and he brings us into relationship with him. But he is not okay with us using his grace only for forgiveness of our sins. He wants so much more than that out of his grace, his investment of grace into us. He invested into us His Son, Jesus Christ. And that wasn't just so we could have a relationship with Him. It's so that we could go so much deeper and further into the relationship with Him and into the revealing of His glory. And what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth here is he's like, you have no idea what's actually possible. Far too often, we give up living the way we're supposed to because it gets to a place where it's too hard to trust God. It's too hard to trust in His grace. You know, this doesn't make sense to me anymore. I'm out of control now. And, and whatever, it's too painful. This relationship doesn't seem like it's going to work. It doesn't seem like it's possible to do any of this. And in those moments, He tells us, He tells us that we lack no spiritual gift. That among us, within us, we have everything that we need to be strong to the end and be presented blameless. Why? Because we have inside of us Christ. And with Him, nothing is impossible. You see, there are deep wells and reserves within the body of Christ and within each of us that we haven't explored yet. You know, it's like it's like a gold mine or oil or natural gas that is deep in the earth that hasn't been mined yet. Within us are wells of grace that we haven't leaned into and our lives do not reveal to the extent that they could the power and the glory of God. And the reason that they don't is because we haven't trusted him through the pain because we tend to live by sight instead of by faith And when we're past the thing that makes sense to us and when we're facing all the pain We tend to take control back of our lives and we do things our way And as soon as we do our strength is gone because we're no longer leaning into the grace of god Which is christ in us But when we push through and when we read this thing and when we take him at his word and when we live by faith And not by sight then we will find that there is a wealth of grace available to us because Christ is in us. And with Him, nothing is impossible. So can they do it? Heck no. But can He do it? You better believe that He can do it as they will trust Him as the grace within them. And so can we. And here's the question. For some of us, we haven't received the initial grace yet. There may be some of us here who haven't even received the initial grace, who haven't stepped into that fellowship with Christ yet, who haven't gotten to the place where we've identified ourselves with Christ and just letting go of our own self-reliance. And if you haven't today, please, please today. I mean, this is life here, you know. Step into relationship with him. Don't leave without talking to me or one of the elders today, okay? But for the rest of us who have, All of us struggle with what the Corinthians struggle with. We come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by His grace, and then very quickly we have a tendency to move back into self-reliance. And because of that, the things that we are required to do, that He has called us to do, to be set apart and to be holy and to be profoundly revealing the glory and the power of God, we fall radically short of it. And it's not because we are incapable It's because we don't trust the one who is. And he lives within us. And he lives among us. And I want to call us out today. You know, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians and saying, that grace, it's still there. And I think that as I read this, I consider myself pushed. You know, this is the job of the community, to be like the coach who's in each other's ear, who's saying, don't give up. Don't think those lies about yourself. It's not true. He's forgiven you. Don't think that this is impossible. It can go further. You can receive the healing. You can watch this relationship move forward. You can win that co-worker to Christ. You can still share the glory of God even though you're being persecuted in this way. You can hold out faith for another moment. You can give more. You can't outgive God. Keep trying. Keep going. Give more. Let's go. Where are we taking our resources what are we doing are we taking control of them or are we placing them in the hands of God come on let's go keep going keep going it's deep in there it's not you it's the grace of God it's Christ among us and we can do it if we will hold on to him and to no one else and if we will hold on to him we will see what he has promised that he can accomplish I consider myself pushed today by Paul's letter to Corinth. And I hope that you feel the same way. I hope that we as the church of Parker Ford, of Coventry Glen, the greater Pottstown area, that we would feel pushed today to dig into the grace of God. Join me in prayer.